0: Church family, if you have your Bibles, please open them to Titus chapter 2, as we behold God's living word this morning. That's page 998 in the Bible, in the seat back in front of you. Very recently, I was in Oklahoma City, uh, actually up there for a funeral of a loved one. And as I was driving to the graveside, I was stopped at a light... And noticed, to my right, this little plot of land, about 15 feet by 15 feet, that was perfect. The grass was green and lush and soft and manicured, and it just looked beautiful. And it stood out because Oklahoma, much like Texas, when you look around, there's not a ton of natural beauty surrounding So when I looked at that plot of grass, I thought it was just beautiful. And in the middle of the plot of grass was this sign that pointed to a foundation that had basically cultivated this grass. And they were basically saying that this foundation was serving this community. And wherever they were, things were happening. Things were growing. Grass like this, metaphorically, was working in contrast to the dead grass around it. Beloved, in many ways, in many ways, this is the church. We are to stand in great contrast to the world around us. People ought to look at us and say, my goodness, that is beautiful. It is lush. It is kept. It is developed and manicured. As Paul writes this letter to Titus, he provides Titus with wisdom. As Titus has been given a very difficult responsibility, and that is to help an unhealthy church become healthy. You see, false teaching and legalism had crept into the church. Basically, it would be like dead grass uh, creeping into this beautiful grass that I'm talking about. And so Titus has this responsibility to make sure that sound doctrine is there, and that it's being preached, and that the people are understanding the gospel of grace so that the members who have received grace from Jesus are beginning to live in accordance with the gospel that they have received. The gospel of Christ is at the forefront of this letter to Titus. It is driving, in fact, the point of this entire letter. I want you to listen to the gospel very quickly. In chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, as I read it over you. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's us. We've been saved and we have eternal life waiting for us. But look what he says in verse 8. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Now sometimes when we hear good works, we immediately go to legalism. Oh, uh, We're afraid to do good works because we only know that the good work that was done is Jesus. And that is 100% true. The good work is is final but because the good work is final in Jesus we are able now through the giving of the Holy Spirit the equipping of his word and through his people we are able now to do good works in fact we're to be zealous for good works we are to live in light of the grace of God that we have received through Jesus the gospel is not about what we are to do to gain heaven The gospel is being reminded of what Christ has done for us. And this love he has demonstrated to us in Jesus begins to affect, to change our motivations. It it begins to give us a new mind to do the things that we are called to do. We are called to be obedient representatives of Jesus This is how the saved life plays out. Those who've received Christ Jesus. We know that maturity in Christ does not happen overnight. We know that this is a slow process. And and the grace of God continues to enable us as we develop on. But before we get into this culture of Christian living that Titus lays out for us today. I want us to be reminded as we talk about the development that the body is to endure, that we are rooted in the gospel of Christ and that the primary work is done. When Christ said, to thy he said, it is finished. And so the good works that we do moving forward are in light of that grace enabled by the Holy Spirit of God that continues to train us. Now, look with me at verse 1 in chapter 2 as I read the word of God over you today. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train young women to love their husbands and children What I want us to see from this passage today is that God expects his people to live godly lives. He expects his people to live godly lives. He assigned his name to us, as we learned last week, and then we bear the name that is sealed to us in front of a watching world, which this passage will ultimately get to. If you are a Christian Old, young, male, female, there is an ethic that we are to live by within the kingdom that Jesus has brought us into. Not to save us, but because we are saved. This refers to how we should live our daily lives based on the grace that we have received. And we'll see in this text there's virtues for us to live by. Uh, This is describing for us a healthy church. And beloved, as we've been talking about the body, a healthy body of Christ, a healthy church, this is to describe for us what that looks like and to encourage us to live out a life that would aspire to put these things into practice. Now, Jesus has made us aware of sin. He's made us aware of the forgiveness that we have as offered by his own blood. And so it really ought to be a joy for us to live this life. Do you love God? Do you love the God who saved you, who rescued you from hell and damnation, who delivers you from lawlessness? If you love God, the desire in your heart will then to be put, will want to be then to put these practices into place. We see in verse 14 before we get into the text that he who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is describing the church. Those who were redeemed by Jesus ought to be zealous for good works. And this is done before he returns. And so the, the main driving point behind this text that I want us to see today is simply this Godly living accompanies sound doctrine. Godly living accompanies sound doctrine. We want to highlight the importance of the development of the body to ensure that the church is growing, that it's healthy, that it's faithful, and God has shown us here how that transpires in a local congregation. Now, I do want to highlight two subpoints for us today, and they're simply this. The first one can be found in verse 1. We must teach what accords with sound doctrine. We'll get into what sound doctrine is. Here momentarily, and then the second thing, we uh, we teach sound doctrine so that we live lives that accord with the gospel. So sound doctrine is the gospel. We teach the gospel so that our lives uh, are lived out in accordance with the gospel. So we have a command in Scripture, verse one, and then basically verses two through eight are describing the culture of the church that transpires when sound doctrine is taught. So look with me in verse 1. Paul is calling Titus to a different life than, than that of the false teachers that he addresses in chapter 1. He says, but as for you, Titus, emphatic you, Titus, you teach what accords with sound doctrine. If you remember, Titus is a pastor setting things in order at the, at the church of Crete. That's where we get our first point today. We must teach what accords with sound doctrine. This is a command that the Apostle Paul is giving to the church. Like I said, verse one, it's an emphatic you. We must teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, here uh, in the English, we don't see the definite article that the Greek actually displays, but in the Greek, sound doctrine actually has a the before it. So, the sound doctrine is what Titus is to teach. Now, sound doctrine is healthy teaching. That's what it actually means which is contrast to diseased teaching. Paul is suggesting that there is a body of teaching that Titus is supposed to instruct with and only instruct with this body of teaching. This teaching has boundaries to it. Sound doctrine is nothing other than the gospel of Christ itself. So he is to teach what accords with this gospel of Christ So the means and the motivation of the gospel should instruct godly living amongst the church. Now, why is he emphasizing it here? Well, for context, we need to remember that there had been false teachers that had come into the church. And they had upset uh, whole households by their divisive teaching. They, They claimed to know God, verse 16, but they denied God by their works, it says in verse 16. And so uh, Titus is responsible for making sure that he is reordering these households that were led astray by this false teaching. And godliness is to accompany the very gospel that Paul is proclaiming. Uh, We recognize that godliness accompanies the gospel just like tears accompany a broken man at a funeral. Uh, or any other example you'd like to consider. Uh, if you believe in the gospel of Christ, if, if the spirit of God has regenerated your heart and, and, and made you realize that you are were a lost person and now you have been reconciled and saved and you get to enjoy the glory of God through the face of Christ, you know that your sins are forgiven. It's a free gift offered to you. If this is you, the desire then should be to live this life. So you must teach the doctrine because the doctrine reminds us of what is true. It reminds us that the gift of God was been given to us through Jesus. Now these men came in thinking that they were teaching the gospel. These false teachers that we see in verses 10 through 16 of chapter one. But the false gospel that they were Proclaiming bore false fruit in their lives, as that Paul describes them as detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Preaching a different gospel results in a false living, in false fruit, in self absorbed living, period. And Paul is reminding Titus, the pastor, you must. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. So Titus is in view in this context. And he must teach the gospel of Christ over and over again to the congregation. Because the gospel informs the culture of the church. Or whatever is being taught informs the culture of the church. So it must be the right doctrine that is being taught. Now the word teach here is a little bit different than the master teaching that he refers to later in verse 7, but it's teaching that considers life. Like as you go on in life, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now the word accord here means to teach what fits with the gospel. Don't teach something that doesn't fit with the gospel like the false teachers are doing, but teach with what accords with the gospel that has been proclaimed to you. There is a lot of unsound doctrines out there today. A a, a lot of things that are being preached from the pulpits of the church today. Perhaps you've heard that uh, little phrase, church is a hospital for sinners. And to an extent, I agree with that. But a hospital uh, can also provide examples of what the church ought not to be. The gospels being heralded are not meant to be placebos. They're not to be fake medicines that don't get to the heart of the disease. Uh, False gospels uh, will provide uh, like a plastic surgery. Uh, They'll make the outside look better, but the inside is still rotten. Uh, False gospels serve like painkillers that they make you feel better, but they don't actually get to the heart of the disease. But the true sound doctrine, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, gets to the heart of the disease, which is sin. And it begins to address the sin face on. It begins to remind you of the one who cuts out the sin. It, it, it speaks of the Holy Spirit who begins to restore the body, to make the body healthy, helping the body to develop. This is why we must teach The sound doctrine, because in the doctrine we get God himself, not some cheap manufactured version that makes us feel better, but in the end leaves us hopeless. This is why we preach the gospel of Christ, not not to tickle ears, not to entertain you, but to give you the only one who can satisfy your heart for all of eternity. That is our responsibility to you, beloved. This is why we talk about the sound doctrine. This is what we are to teach. And what we teach is meant to spur us on each week, whether it would be missions focused or discipleship focused or obedience focused or what it looks like to love, what it looks like to serve, whatever it is, we are to speak the word of God to you, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, rooted in truth, rooted in conviction, rooted in hope, remind you of the grace of God remind you of the character of God, the judgment of God, the return of Christ that is coming. That is our responsibility to you. And we take that very seriously. This is why the elders that we nominate are so important. These are men that must guard the doctrine of Christ, must care about the flock, must be willing to care for an endangered sheep. The right doctrine does give blind men sight and sight helps the lame man to walk the healthy elder is always pointing people to Christ because he's memorized or excuse me mesmerized by the grace that he has received knowing that he never deserved it but it was given to him as a gift always pointing people to Jesus he's constantly desirous for the name of God and the glory of God to be represented in the community that we live in these are the type of men that that, that steward this sound doctrine He's not afraid to address the ungodly. He's not afraid to deal with the hard things of ministry. But he's concerned with the glory of Christ. Those are the elders that you ought to be considering in these few weeks of prayer and uh, recognition. Now see with me in verse 2 what we are to do with this sound doctrine. So people receive the sound doctrine and then we are to live out this sound doctrine. And verses two through it tell us the culture of that. So point number two today, so that we live lives that accord with the gospel. This is a Christian culture that the scriptures are talking about today. Now I want us to see, and especially in verses two and three, the importance of godly older saints in the church. When sound doctrine is preached, it is to be received and then implemented in the life of the Christian. So an older saint is to know the doctrine and then to live out the doctrine for the sake of the whole congregation, coming alongside the elders in their example. Now, let me first define what older is before I offend, and I'm afraid when I define it, I will offend still, but... According to the context, there was a man, a Greek physician named Hippocrates, before Paul's time, that kind of laid out what the line of demarcation was for an older saint and a younger saint, and the line was 50, okay? I'm not saying that, that's what history's saying, okay? So 50 and up would be an older saint, and fifty and, or 49 and below would be a younger saint saints. So older saints, we'll see here in verses 2 and 3, they are to pursue godliness. And he starts first with the older men in the congregation. Paul urges you to be faithful men, qualified men, practicing the presence of God as you live. Now see with me in verse 2. Older men, you are to be sober-minded, dignified, Self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Honestly, it sounds a whole lot like the qualifications of an overseer, of an elder. Older men must be faithful in the church. If you're an older man in the church, please, please listen. We want you to be stalwarts in the church. Faithful. Men who love Jesus. Men who are not afraid of other men. Men who are consistent in your faith. Men who work hard, men who fight for unity. Look how he describes this. Uh, uh, Men who are qualified, faithful uh, in their faith. These men are sober-minded men. That means they're level-headed, not temperamental, not reactionary, not with a short fuse, but sober-minded, meaning they long to live in a way that pleases God, and they are not satisfied by the quick indulgences of the flesh. This is men, sober-minded men. They're to be dignified. That means they're to live well. That means they're to act their age. They're to be reverent, mature, noble in character, carrying yourself with dignity. There's a seriousness about you because you've walked with God a long time. That doesn't mean you don't smile, but you know your time is not as long as it once was. And therefore you are desperately concerned with the things of the kingdom of God. You're self-controlled, which means your passions are under control. You're self-disciplined. Uh, and self-control, as Paul lays out here, is for everybody in the church, and we're going to get to that. He demands, the Lord demands all of us to be self-controlled. That means not to live by our urges, but to live obedience uh, to live out obedience according to the word. Older men, you are to be sound in faith. That means you trust the word of God. Even when it's difficult, even when times are hard, you really do believe God and the promises of God. You know that Christ is returning. You know your sins are forgiven. You know you're called to love people by laying down your own life. You walk with God because you know God. You know God because you walk with God. You are in fellowship with him. You're sound in love, which means you serve other people. You don't just serve your own appetite. You serve the needs of others. You're a person who belongs to Jesus. and Like he said, like Jesus said in John 13, people will know that you're my disciples based on how you love one another. These men are steadfast. That means they are truly patient men, trusting the work of God, the work now and the work that is to come. He does not give up the faith in difficulty, but he is constantly looking to the fact that Jesus is coming back. This is describing the older saint in the church who is 50 and up. My grandfather was a Titus 2 2 man. He reeked of these godly fruits. Everywhere he went, he thought about the gospel of Christ. And, and, it, and it played out the way he spoke to people, spoke about people, and the way that he served the church. You know it when you see it. You know it when you see it. To my older brothers, we're thankful for you. It's a blessing to be a part of a church that has older saints. I, it's, I love it, because not all church plants do. We actually get to live this out here in Titus 2. But are you a, two, a Titus 2-2 man? Are you a man that looks like the description here in Titus 2? 2, 2. Ask yourself, do these virtues describe you? Does your behavior agree, not with some doctrine, but with sound doctrine? Because those two things are wed together. Oh, that God would load our church with faithful men like this. This should be our prayer and also giving thanks to those who are also giving thanks to those who are those whom the congregation this is describing those who in the congregation would agree that's so-and-so that's so-and-so I've seen so-and-so live this out older men my my encouragement to you is to give your life away in your latter years to serve God give your life away in latter years to care for the younger generation do not care, don't care so much about what has transpired in the church, but knowing that you won't be here forever. Your legacy is then to be passed on so that the church is secure and the faith is passed down. That is the glorious role that you have in making sure that your legacy is cemented by, the, by your faith in Christ Jesus the King. Are you living a life that is preparing the church for your departure are you living a life that's preparing the church for your departure? We recognize men, older men, you are gifts to the church. Uh, younger men, uh, Proverbs 20 says that our glory is our strength, some of us. Older men, your glory is your wisdom. Proverbs 20:29. 20, Paul says elsewhere, "Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him, as you would a father. Would you be fathers to us? Would you teach his faithfulness? Would you show us the way of God here amongst us? Would you, would you care for us? Paul, in verse 3, goes to older women in the church. Likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Ladies, these older ladies, respectfully, these are the qualifications for you as to whether or not you're living a life that aligns with the doctrine that you believe. Paul says likewise here, which shows kind of a a connection to how older men are to do the very same thing. But look how older women are qualified here. Reverent in behavior. Uh, In in the Greek, that means temple-like, temple-fitting. How you would behave inside of the corporate gathering is how you are to live your entire life, older ladies. Reverent in behavior. You You are not to be a slanderer. Slanderer in the Greek means it's diablos, which is the term for devil. You you are not to use your tongue in a devilish way, uh, which Paul is speaking to because it's a problem in the church and it might be a problem in any church. That's why the word of God has been given to address it. Be a lady who controls the tongue that doesn't run people through the mud that that, that speaks well of people Uh, essentially this, don't Don't act like a devil. Don't divide. And then don't be addicted to much wine. Uh, Don't be addicted to things that are not as good as the gospel of Christ. If wine is not an issue for you, maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's your family. Whatever it is, don't be addicted to anything more than you want to be in fellowship with the risen Christ. Now, see, older women actually have something else to do, a direct command that Paul lays out. They are to teach what is good at the end of verse 3. Why? So as to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Older ladies in the church, if I could have your attention. Your responsibility is to train up the younger women of the church to teach what is good and in accordance with sound doctrine. This is the speech that you are to be about. The 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 message that is to be on your tongue. Women, you come alongside the ministry of the church, the elders of the church to train up women. This is a huge responsibility and a glorious role that the Lord God himself has given to you to help his church develop and grow. Now, the word for teaching here is actually very unique. It's the only time it's ever used. It's a, u- it's a unique type of teaching, uh, one that would be like one-on-one type of teaching or teaching that would take place in a home or in small groups. You could say it in this way. It's hands-on equipping. And, and This requires older ladies to be intentional. It, it requires older ladies to pursue and to be assertive. And remember, right? Uh, This is a command in the word of God to do these things. It's a part of your obedience to God and fulfilling your faithfulness unto the Lord who saved you. Now, these are household dynamics that are laying out here, but there's also practical spiritual dynamics for every lady in the room. So we're about to transition talking about all older lady in the church. This is what you are to teach And younger women in the church, this is what you are to learn. This is what you're to grow in. This is what you're to to desire and to put into practice. Now, there's practical things here. So if you're not married, that doesn't mean there's not things here for you. to See, if you're a single woman, please listen up. There's still practices here for you to put in place. So what is the good teaching? Older ladies, you are to instruct younger women... To love their husbands. You are to train them to love their husbands. That word train is interesting. That suggests it's probably not natural for younger women to love their husbands. They're not just waking up going, yeah, this is an easy work today. I can't wait to get to it. No, older women train younger women. Remember the context. More than likely, those who were married didn't even know each other before they were married. Uh, They had to learn to love one another. And so older women are to instruct younger women on how it is they are to love their husbands. They do this by modeling it in their own lives and then also instructing it, encouraging and admonishing where this practice isn't taking place. So we're not just talking about romantic love here. We're talking about self, like sacrificial, gospel centered, Jesus centered love. Older women are to train in that. And then The word love is actually repeated twice for emphasis, but older women are to train younger women to love their kids too. Train to love their children. Now, it's not as difficult for a mom to love their kids as it is for them to love their husbands. We would probably all admit that moms just naturally love their children uh, in, in very special and unique ways. They do anything to protect them. But the kind of love that we're talking about here is a, is a mother must learn to shape their children to know the character of God, to know the gospel of Christ, to, to, to recognize that Jesus alone is their Savior. Uh, mothers are to instruct their children in this, and older ladies are to come alongside, showing younger women how to do this. This is a glorious thing. Uh, Proverbs one eight says, "Children, do not depart from your mother's teaching." If if you're a child in the room, would you would you look up here for just a moment? You have a responsibility to listen to the instruction of your mother, and to encourage her in her teaching of you, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing better and she is going to want to teach you all about it. That's the greatest love that a mother can display to her children is to lay down her life in love by teaching about the one who did it for her. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, young ladies, you're to be taught to be self-controlled. this common sense, good judgment in how you live. L- living ordered lives, not being distracted by all the, the, the passions and interests that you have. But what does it look like to be godly? Self control. That's all women in the congregation, all younger women in the congregation. You're to be pure. If, if you're married, that means you are to be faithful to your vows. That means you are to be one man type woman's. Women's. You are to be faithful to the covenant that you have made before God and to your husband. If you're single, you're to walk in purity, recognizing that Christ has washed you by, by, by his blood. And your desire then is to live as if you have been washed. He, uh, Paul goes on to say, uh, young women, you are to work at home. Young women, are call, uh, the home is, is the top priority for women. It, it's the place where you get to work for your family, for the glory of God. Now, he's not talking about women shouldn't work ever outside the home. That's not what he is saying. He's he's saying that the priority of the young woman is to be the home. Uh, We see in Proverbs 31 a woman who is flat out getting it done. Uh, She's working for uh, her family. She's planting vineyards. Her house is ordered. Her husband trusts her. So it's not suggesting that no women can work outside the home. In fact, single moms must work outside the home to provide for their families. But it's simply saying that the home is what our hearts are to be oriented to or what your hearts are to be oriented to. Young women, you're to be kind, like Jesus is kind, humble, sweet, considerate. You're you're to be submissive to your own husband. Uh, Circle that word, own husband, Again, this is God's design and protection for women to flourish, to submit. This is his decree. This is his design. This is his function. This is how the home is to flourish. This is what is good for the home. This is what is good for your spouse. This is what is good for you. If you have a man who is trying to be godly and you are not submissive to him, I promise you, you will not flourish because that is not inside of the design of God's created order and this is for your good God wants us to flourish that's the whole point uh, of his people he wants us to look like that piece of grass that is contrasted with everything else in all of creation beautiful different manicured and this is how you flourish so young ladies be trained be willing to be trained are you devoted to growing in these things Now, I want us to recognize that we are to look at our roles inside the church and to take them to heart, to put them to practice. This is what we're supposed to do. So these are the priorities that God has designed for you to flourish and for homes to flourish. Elizabeth Elliott was speaking to a group of Christian ladies who were leaders in 1997. uh, Elizabeth Elliott was the wife of Jim Elliott, the martyred missionary in South America. And she was stunned by what she saw in the conversations with these ladies. They had no idea that they were supposed to be Titus II women. Whether older or younger, they had no idea that this is what God had designed for the home. So she actually wrote an article, where are all the Titus II women? This is who God has created you to be, which is always better than the world offers. The world right now is saying well women can do anything that men can do and in some regard that's true because women are competent I would even say more competent than men in many cases let me just say that at least that's the case in my household okay but I I, I want us to recognize that we're not interested in what the world says but we're interested in what God says we're interested in God's care for us and he wants us to flourish and grow in ways that we want to grow. He's a good shepherd that always leads us to paths of righteousness. And if, if you're a lady and these roles aren't being played out in your life right now, or maybe you're hearing this for the first time, I don't want you to, to fear that, but actually rest in the grace of Jesus and turn to him. Remember the grace of Christ. Don't be overwhelmed by what you haven't done, but be excited about what God has asked you to do and how he wants you to play this out. Now, younger men, are you with me? Uh, Verse six, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now we're getting to younger men in the church. And this is the truth. Younger men are lovers of pleasure. That is historically true, almost 100% true. Okay? And uh, Titus here is being urged by Paul. And in fact, he tells Titus to urge younger men to be self controlled. Urge here means to summons, like like in a court, uh, like a, a, a judge summons people to come to his court. You must go. So, this is the idea behind the language there. Younger men are called to be self controlled, this is your command. We're, we're to fight the battle well. We're, fight, we're to fight the good fight of faith. We are to flee sexual immorality. We are to flee the things that our hearts desire and exchange them for the things that God wants for us. Now, it's pretty remarkable and it stands out that older men are commanded six things to do in Jesus Christ. Uh, older men, or excuse me, older women are commanded five things to do in Jesus Christ. Uh, o- younger women are seven things. Younger men, one. Be self controlled. Be self controlled. I hope that you recognize, younger men, the dangers of your heart and you are aware of your sin and all the traps that so easily entangle you. We need spiritual governors on our heart that the Holy Spirit is willing to provide. Walk with Him, have fellowship with Christ, fight for these things. Now, he goes back to Titus in verse 7. Titus has responsibility, too. Just as the older men are to teach the younger men these things, Titus is to live this out in front of the whole congregation. Pastors, elders, we have a responsibility to train and exemplify the gospel. Look at the word that is given to Titus. Show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity, and in sound speech that cannot be condemned. Basically, pastors, we're to live a life of godliness. So the, the word we preach and the life we live is to be entangled. It, it, it's to, our life is to be on display of the gospel that we, that we preach. And we, we know that we can't do this perfectly, but we're resting and relying upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in this. But we are to publicly declare the gospel of Christ. And we're to do so with integrity and dignity. This is the gospel ministry. There's a seriousness to this. Uh, Not that we can't have fun, not that we can't smile or tell a joke, but there is a seriousness to this because eternity hangs in the balance. Eternity hangs in the balance here, and this is the reminder that Paul is giving to Titus. We proclaim the word boldly and fully, and we live faithfully. Now, why? Why? Why are we to do these things? Why are we to develop? Why are we to disciple? Why are we to care about our godliness? Well, I actually passed over two clauses that I want to draw our attentions to as we close. In verse 5 and 8, as the younger women are learning to do these things, there's, there's a reason. Look at the last part of verse 5. That the word of God may not be reviled. That the word of God, we must be faithful that the word of God may not be reviled, which means blasphemed. That means the nations look at us and say, yeah, that that plot of grass is the same as any other plot of of grass on the block. But it's not. We are not to revile the name of God. And and look what it says in verse 8. All of us Are to live godly lives so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. It's amazing how we're talking about discipleship, yet the nations are in view here, just like they were last week. Godliness protects the gospel. Godliness protects the gospel. The nations are in view. So, how do we respond today? A couple ways I want us to respond today. There are two general reminders for the whole congregation. Rest in the grace of God. If you have received Christ Jesus, your Lord, so walk in him. Being rooted and built up in the faith. And this is to move us towards obedience. We are to desire to be obedient. We live. We've been rescued from a life of lawlessness as Paul says elsewhere in Titus, not only have we been saved from hell, but we've actually been saved from having to live in sin. There's a huge blessing and a joy that we don't have to drink bad water anymore. We have living water. Is your desire to rest in this grace? Do you desire this? Do you desire to be obedient? If you don't, And if you haven't for a long time, I want to remind you of the grace of God today. Turn to him for the first time or turn to him again in faith and in truth. Secondly, generally speaking, embrace the godly role that the Lord Lord God has given you in the church to fulfill. If you're an older man, older woman, younger man, younger woman, whatever it is, study it. Learn what God has asked you to do so that the, body may, may not, um, may, that the body may live out faithfulness before a lost world. To my older men and older women in the congregation, I have two specific applications for you today. One, desire to be obedient to live a godly life. Uh, go home and look at this passage again. And ask God for help to walk this out faithfully. Uh, do you desire this? Take these commands of scripture seriously. If these commands of scripture are not serious to you, there is an issue with your faith. There is an issue with your faith. Take these seriously. both in how you live and in how you s- instruct. And number two, would you be urgent and intentional with the younger generation? Older saints, would you be urgent and intentional with the younger generation? Pursue the younger saints. Invite them into your life. I would encourage you, please don't be afraid of this command. Because the grace of God will comfort you. And the spirit of God will equip you to do this work. And may I remind you that the state of the church for the future... Is at stake here. Uh, the, the name of God is on trial right now. We need you to pursue us and to teach us. I have much to learn, and I would like to learn from you. I do want to draw out a difference between fellowship and intentional shepherding. I think we're very good at, at fellowship gathering together, talking about life. This requires intentionality. Uh, We're also probably pretty good at consuming a lot of information. We've sat in a lot of Bible classes. We've sat in a lot of discipleship groups. Share the bread that you've received from another. Share the bread that you have received from another. Younger men and women, married and single, please listen. Be prudent in the work to obey the responsibilities you have as you represent the name of God. Be prudent in the work to obey the responsibilities that you have. That is a huge responsibility and our households are at stake when we think about that. I want you to be reminded of what God has asked you to do. And, and number two, younger men and younger women, oftentimes we are taken over by our own passions, our own zeal. My encouragement to you is to be charitable, to be honorable, to be teachable, to be diligent in getting to know the older saints. Honor them. They are worthy of honor. Uh, Pursue them with humility. uh, Desire to learn from them. Uh, There is a temptation to think that we know more and that is not true. That is not true. Come and sit the feet, and learn wisdom from the older saints. Now, if you are a female, an older saint, or a younger saint, uh, I I want to direct your attention. Can you put up the slide that has Michelle Stanfield's uh, email on it? If not, we'll just look it up on the website. But here is what I would encourage you to do, is to make sure that an, if you're an older lady email her and say I desire to disciple and if you're like I really don't know how I, we're going to walk with you we're going to we're going to we're going to we're going to instruct you we're going to teach you we're going to encourage you in this we're just going to gather names right now if you're a younger saint that is wanting to learn th- from an older lady would you email Michelle Stanfield this week we're going to just begin gathering and praying and asking God how are we going to play this out in our church What is this gonna look like? If you're an older saint who's a man who is not discipling a younger man who's under 50, I I would encourage you to do this. Would you email Justin this week? Younger men do the very same, looking for counsel from older men. Uh, This would be a, a huge act of faithfulness in response to the word that has been preached today. This is what I would encourage you to do as we consider God's word and what it means in our hearts and our minds and our lives this week and all the time. Uh, if you are not a Christian, if you, if you are here today and you do not know Jesus, we want you to know that we long for you to know him. Uh, there's good news for you today but it actually starts with really bad news. And that is that you are not a perfect person and you probably know this just by the way you've lived your life. And your sin has separated you from a holy God. A God who is holy. In fact, one little action has separated you from a holy God. That's how holy God is. But I do want you to hear how gracious he is today too. He has provided his son to reconcile the fellowship. To live a life that we could not live. To die a death we were supposed to die. And those who turn to Jesus and believe in Jesus will be saved. They will have a new life. They will have eternal life. And we desire for you to have that. Have you, have you just figured out that you're not happy pursuing anything in this world? There's nothing that will satisfy you like Jesus satisfies you. And we wanna talk, talk about Jesus with you today, if you are willing. Beloved, can we go to the Lord in prayer as we close? Father, thank you for the grace and mercy we received in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the mercy you've given us to grow and develop in maturity and godliness. Oh, that we would be faithful with the tasks at hand, faithful to fulfill our roles. Lord, younger men and younger women will one day be older men and older women. God, help us to be faithful now so that we can be faithful in the older day. Lord, would you equip the saints for the work of ministry, that your name would not be reviled, that the nations would know who you are, that we would be beautiful like that little pot, that that little plot of grass, Lord, for the glory of your name. In Jesus we pray, amen.